Stephanie was actually born in the Essendon Hospital, our oldest daughter, and, um, and now it's not there anymore, apparently. But uh, Melbourne is an amazing city, and you can't lead what you don't love. And so I really pray today that this message will touch your heart, a story of God's amazing grace. Gary and I have been married 31 years. It's a miracle. It's a miracle for him. It's a miracle. I come from quite a dysfunctional family, as some of the girls heard yesterday. And this message resonates with me and who I have actually become. You know, you can't pass on compassion to someone if you aren't carrying compassion in your heart. You can't speak to someone about being courageous if you aren't courageous yourself. You can't strengthen someone about what they might be going through if you aren't hanging on to the strength of God yourself. You can't extend hope to someone unless you are anchored in the hope of God yourself. And this morning, I want to speak about a particular person. His name was Mephibosheth. Anyone heard of Mephibosheth? You might, be, you might have heard this. I mean, I remember hearing about this character when I was in youth ministry way back in the day. And I just remembered God speak to me clearly again recently about his incredible grace and how we should be carrying his, his incredible grace. We are saved by grace. We don't earn grace. There is, no, there is nothing you can do. You don't climb a, a ladder to get to have grace fall upon your life. It is given to us freely. God's grace bestows on the ill-fitting people, but also on the hell-raising people. His grace extends for all of humanity, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter where they come from, no matter what they're doing right now. God's grace is unbelievable. And if we carry that, then we need to know how to extend that. Amen? So Mephibosheth was Jonathan's child. And I'm going to read the text to you in 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 13. It says this, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is, in, who is left in the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to Ziba, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, 
He answered, he said, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth saw him of no worth whatsoever. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons... And 20 servants. I have two sons. He's got 15. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so you will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, the king said, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Zeba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in the Jerusalem and he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both of his feet. Now this story takes, is taken account between two battles. We first meet Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 4.4 when there was a war going on. Jonathan's son had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him and fled. Jonathan and Saul had died in the battle and the nurse picked Mephibosheth up the age of five and took off to save his life. And it happened as she made haste and flee that he fell and became lame. So his name was Mephibosheth. So here we are. It was common, cost, common, it was co- common custom for Eastern monarchs in that day was to eliminate all rivals of the throne. All family members must die from the newborn to the oldest in the house. So she grabbed him, ran in haste and she stumbled and he fell. Some commentaries say that he actually broke his back. His name means man of shame. And Lodabar in Hebrew means pastureless, barren. There was no word, no life-giving word in Lodabar. They were a place of forgotten people. It was fruitless, a place of rejection and shame, a place where outcasts and fugitives actually lived. So you can imagine the picture you've got here. There's a battle going on. Jonathan and David have gone. Jonathan and Saul are gone. And there's this little boy who's five years of age. All he's ever known for those five years was living in the king's palace, living in his dad's palace. He didn't know anything else. He had servants running after him. He had nannies. He had everything at his beck and call. And so 
he loses all of that and goes to a barren place, a place where there is no fruit, a place of rejection, a place of shame. He lives there all of his life. But the problem is, is that he's lame. He cannot walk. So how he walked, how he stumbled around, maybe he crawled, maybe he was carried everywhere he went, but there was no fruit there was nothing in this place that looked life there was life an incredible incredible story in the same way God takes us out of our loaded bars you see David says to Zeba go and get him and bring him here He didn't earn it. He didn't do anything to David to work for it. David says, bring him here. From the very act of kindness, David said, go and get this young man and bring him to my house. You see, grace is exactly like that. Grace seeks us out. Grace finds us in our desperate state. Grace finds us when we least expect it. Mephibosheth didn't know what grace looked like. He had no idea what grace looked like. He didn't understand why David was calling him to his palace. Who are you, David? I don't know, even know who you are. And he begins to tell the story that I made a covenant with your, with your father that I would look after all the house of Saul and Jonathan. He didn't know anything about a covenant. He was five years of age. He wouldn't have even understood that language in those conversations that were being taken place. He was only young. So he had no idea about a covenant. What are you talking about? You see, grace seeks us out. Grace finds us in in our desperate state. It finds us in our wilderness and grace brings us into the king's presence and keeps us there for the king's return. Exactly what happened with Mephibosheth. For some of us here today, we've been saved by grace. But we still have this disposition where we keep people at arm's length. Maybe it's the way they have their life. Maybe it's their lifestyle. Maybe it's the what, how they carry themselves. Maybe it's what they say. Maybe it's how they have conversations with you. But we go, "Mm, okay, I like you, but you're going to stay right there. You can't come any closer. The grace of God doesn't do that. The grace of God embraces. The grace of God embraces the, the ugly, the shameful, the rejected. You don't have to work your way up a ladder to get the grace of God. We've already got it. Right here, right now, we walk in it every moment of the hour of the day. So how do we build an atmosphere of grace? How do we go about that? A grace atmosphere is built by people who are grateful to God. 
David exclaims his gratefulness to God, saying in 2 Samuel 7, 21 to 24, For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things. You make your servant know, know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And he goes on and on and on. Thank you, God. You are magnificent. I thank you, God. A grateful and God-reliant person shows grace easier than any independent self-made person. In Psalm 138 verse 1, I will give thanks to God with all my heart. Psalm 9.1, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your marvellous works. Psalm 11.1, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and the assembly. So when you carry grace, when a person is grateful, they carry this incredible sense of or that God is so awesome that we want to give God out to everyone, no matter what, where, how, who they are. We just want to extend God's loving grace. We just want to give them what we've got and be hungry to give them what we've got and not hold back on what we've got and just say, have what I've got. That's the incredible saving grace of our God. God himself described David as a God after his own heart. He's the apple of God's eye. And yet David made so many mistakes. He made so many mistakes and God says, you are the apple of my eye? I mean, how does that work? How does that work? Because religion will tell us we have to work for it. Religion will tell us that we're not good enough. The religion will tell us and keep us at arm's length. It will tell us that we've got to climb a ladder to get to God. It will tell us when we've made a mistake, you've stuffed up and you're a failure. That's what religion does. And now you've got to work your butt off to get back to where you were before. To earn grace. I'm sorry, God says to David, you are the apple of my eye. Wow. Every time he made a mistake, David got on his hands and knees and surrendered to God and said, Lord, here I am. Help me, Jesus. Help me, God, become all that I am meant to do and meant to be. You see, thankfulness puts our life into perspective in the trials we face. And many of us here today are going through trials Many of us here today are wondering how we're going to pay the electricity bill. It's true. My daughter's just left Adelaide to come home to Brisbane because she can't afford to pay for her electricity bills in Adelaide. She's come home to save some money. Don't worry, she's paying board. <laughs> I told her, I said, oh, you'll, be, you'll be putting some money towards the electricity bills. But it's very real. Isn't it? We live in a real world. We are facing some real challenges today. But when we're grateful for God, he keeps everything in perspective for our life, that he is in control and he is on the throne and he has us in the palm of his hand. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He is walking with us every step of the way. So whatever you may be facing today, he is right there, right beside you. Ordering your steps. 
And all we've got to do is trust him with those steps. He was an amazing person, David, but he stuffed up so many times, like you and me. A grace atmosphere, number two, is built by people who turn noble intentions into noble actions. We have our next door neighbour, he's just moved out of the house next door. He was renting it for six months. And he had to have two knee operations. And so one day we saw him stumbling down the driveway because our driveways are like this. They're on a hill. And he was trying to take the garbage bin down the bottom of the driveway. And I said to Gary, "Hun, there's something not right. And so he quickly got out of the car and ran over to Jerry and said, hey, mate, hey, mate, are you okay? He goes, oh, I've just, I've done my knees and I've got to get my my garbage bin down the driveway so Gary goes and takes it down there and puts it where it needs to be and helped him back up the driveway and he said to Jerry don't do that again I'll help you every time every Friday I'll put the garbage bin out so you don't have to come down he was about to have an operation on both his knees and then we said what else do you need to do around the house and so we did the mowing for the last few months for him every few weeks because in Brisbane and the, the lawn grows we got sunshiny days. I left 30 degrees, remember? And so I'm going back to 30 degrees, yes. Okay, sorry, we won't rub it in. Um, and so we did that for a few days. Anyway, I remember I had to give him some blankets. He had family coming and he had his operation and he was recuperating and we got to talking. I said, oh, I have to get you over for a roast dinner, Jerry. I make the best roast chickens. He goes, really? And I said, yeah, we'll have to do that. Well, he moved out on Thursday. And he's came over to say goodbye and he goes, I'm still holding you to the roast chicken. I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. So um, we've had the flu really bad. I said, I'm so sorry, we've had the flu really bad and I hadn't been able to get him over. And you know what? It was a noble intention but I didn't put it into action. Oh, I was so ticked off with myself. We learn from those mistakes but we've got his address and I've got a plan. I'm going to do a roast chicken, I'm going to take it over. You see, in 2 Samuel 9, 1, David starts to reflect and remember the covenant agreement Jonathan made with him. Is there anyone still, anyone still in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, the word kindness is a key in this story. It's mentioned three times. The Hebrew word is hest, H-E-S-E-D meaning loving kindness. It points to God's loyal, unfailing love for his people. Kindness means, in the, in the dictionary, it means deal kindly, show loyalty and show steadfast love. It's amazing how we, when we extend kindness to someone, Jerry, unchurched, unsaved man. Gary has a conversation in the backyard with him. He was smoking like a trooper, drinking his beer, and yet, and yet we heard his story. He's in his 50s, late, late 50s, early 60s. We heard his story, a story of pain, a story of rejection, a story of shame. And yet we extended our extended loving kindness and he couldn't get over the fact that Gary was mowing his lawn every couple of weeks and that we always went over and made sure he was okay. I mean, just by one act, 
is, t- is drawing him closer to the loving arms of Jesus. Time had passed, but David remained true to his word and faithful to the promise he'd made to Jonathan. And 2 Peter 3.9 says, declares that God is not slack concerning his promises. What? They are yes and they are, are, are amen. The Nobel Prize isn't given to people with noble intentions. It's given to people who actually put the intentions into action. And many times we hear that in the story. So we see this, that David's kindness... He starts to begin to say to his home and his palace, there is someone else, there is a man that I need to bring into the palace. Now, I don't know about you, but when we had a young lady stay with us for quite a few months when she was a teenager, and when you allow, when you bring someone into the house, it actually disrupts the household. You know, we had to find her a bed. We had to find her some clothes. We had to, she was at the table. And it starts to infringe on everybody's space. And this is exactly what happened with Mephibosheth. He came into the palace and started to make his own way where he fit. Amongst Solomon and amongst Absalom and all the other sons and daughters that David had. But he felt at home because he came into the king's presence. He came into the palace and he felt right at home. He was in a miserable condition. But he felt he belonged. And that's what grace does. It makes people feel like they belong. We have a saying that Gary and I say to our church that we want people to belong before they believe. It's very important that they belong and they feel comfortable, that when they walk into our church that they have a sense of home. They don't have to believe in Jesus to walk into our house. Our kids bring their unchurched friends into our house all the time. We, be, we get called Mama and Papa Rucci. Mama and Papa Rucci. They belong before they believe. Some of these kids, our, friends have, our, our, our kids' friends have got, they've got no parents. They're living in, they're living in separated homes. They're living, they go from one house to the next. One of our son's friends has three sets of parents. He comes to our house, he sits at our table, he eats our, our food and he says, I feel like I belong. I feel like I have a mother and a father. Someone that will guide me, someone that will nurture me. People need to belong before they believe. It's very important in our day and age. John 6.44 says, No one can, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. David put the noble intentions into action. Number three, a grace atmosphere is built by people who are committed to being a blessing. 2 Samuel 9.5 says, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah from Lodabar. David was committed to being a minister of grace. He wanted to demonstrate the same kind of grace that God had shown to him. 
David asks, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can bless? He didn't say this. He didn't ask, is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone qualified? Is there anyone dedicated to you? Is there anyone serving in my cause? Is there anyone willing to fight? Is there anyone in my armies? No, just, is there anyone? That's what he said. Is there anyone? There is no qualification for the grace of God except one. You've got to be a sinner. You've got to be a sinner to qualify for the grace of God. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I get excited about that because I haven't had to prove myself to get the grace of God who saved me to become free and free indeed I am. But for so many of us in church life, is we have the grace of God. We come out of our load of bars of the shame, the rejection. We come out of our load of bars of feeling like a failure and we get saved by his grace. But we go back to Lodabar. Mephibosheth never came out of Lodabar and actually went back to Lodabar. He came out of Lodabar into the king's palace and into the king's presence. He sat at his table and the table covered his lameness. He never went back to the shame, the guilt and the condemnation. He never went back to the barrenness of that land. He never went back. And church, we go back all the time and we, re- we go over and we rehash all those things that happened to us back in Lodabar. When you've actually been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his amazing grace, but we still go back to our load of bars. And for some of us here today, that has to stop. You keep rehashing and rehashing the hurt, the pain, the rejection. And God's saying, I took that, the day of your salvation. I took it. I set you free. We ask God to forgive us. And then we remember again and we ask God to forgive us and we remember again and we ask God to forgive us. I'm sure God God says, what are you doing? Why are you asking me for forgiveness again when I've forgiven you? It's our fallen nature to keep going back to Lodabar because it's comfortable. (laughs) We're comfortable back in our shame, our guilt and our condemnation. We're comfortable feeling like a failure. We're comfortable. It's easier if I just stay here and be miserable. Because it's too much effort to walk out of Lodabar in freedom. I had to do it. I had to stop rehashing the hurt, the abuse, the condemnation, the feeling of shame and guilt. I had to stop going over and over and over why I felt like I did. And one day I'd gone through 
all the stuff I was learning about God, reading the word, being discipled, left, right and centre. Every day I was eating the word. And one day I said, right, that's it. I'm set free. I'm not going back to Lodabar. And I can tell you the enemy was on the prowl. People were coming to me, reminding me of what I was like, reminding me, oh, you're just the same, reminding me, oh, you'll never change, reminding me, oh, you'll never amount to anything. There was a fight going on. And it wasn't a fight with flesh and blood, it was a fight in the heavenlies. Because God knew what I was called for and so did the enemy. And for some of us here today, he's keeping you in a rut and he's keeping you stuck in where you're at. And he wants today, he wants a shift to take place. He wants to shift you out of the loader bar. He wants to shift you out of the shame, the rejection. He wants to shift you out of your complacency. Oh, we get complacent in loader bar. We get complacent because it's somewhere we knew. It's somewhere where that's all we've ever known. And now you want to shift me out of my understanding of who I am? Mephibosheth, his name means shame. Shame. But he comes into the king's palace. And his name started to change and it changed to destroyer of shame. Significance. So when we come into God's presence, he changes us from the inside out. And yes, there's always a process. I'm a, I love processes. I'm a process working woman. I like taking people on a process of being healed. But when you keep going back to that shame and that guilt and that condemnation, I get feisty. I say to some people, right, you're not listening. It is up to you. But if you want to stay there, go ahead. But I know for me, I'm free. I'm free of the things that I went through in my life. David was enthusiastic, he had conviction and he was committed to blessing this man and he was going to be faithful to the covenant that he, get, that he had with Jonathan. Mephibosheth's mindset would have changed being in the palace and being in the king's presence. His heart would have changed, his outlook, outlook would have changed and his world would have changed. He started off in the palace went to a place in the wilderness and went back to the palace forever. In his wilderness, I wonder what he thought. I wonder what he thought in his mind and in his heart. Number four, my last point. A grace atmosphere is built by people who are committed to breaking down the barriers. David pushed through the obvious physical barriers with Mephibosheth. But more importantly, the social and spiritual barriers. You see, it was custom to leave them in a place of isolation, a place 
where you, you forget about people who are, who are crippled, who are lame. They can't, they, they, they can't do much for society, so we'll just leave them in that place. And so David broke down the barriers. And instead of keeping his arm out here, his arm embraced Mephibosheth. He would have pushed through the, minds, the social mindsets that existed between a prosperous, victorious God-appointed king and a lame outcast. Fear keeps people at arm's length. But when you show kindness, it keeps breaking down those barriers. You see, Mephibosheth comes before David and is expected to be punished. He goes, what do you want of me? In fear and in trepidation, he comes into the king's presence. What do you want? Do you possibly to kill him? You know, his life had no worth. He was full of shame. But the moment he came into the palace, all that was disappeared. Everything he felt disappeared. Because he was in a safe place. He felt secure and he felt stable for the very first time. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Dan, can I get you up? Who walk not in the flesh but in the spirit. Verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. And verse 15 says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, we have received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. Mephibosheth was an, no longer an enemy. He was no longer a fugitive. He was no longer poor and impoverished. He was no longer full of shame. He was no longer subject to death. He was no longer hungry and he was no longer a slave. He was free. God's amazing grace. We all have it. We all carry his amazing grace. And we all have the ability to create that grace atmosphere for people to belong before they believe. It's incredibly important. The people across the road, they're an elderly couple and we had, a mate, we had these massive storms come through February, March and cause widespread flooding. We were up on a hill, so the, so the, the park at the back of the, our, our neighbours across the road didn't get as far as us, but we had to run across the road and help them sandbag their houses all the way down the road. It was incredible. We got to know our neighbours in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a crisis. We saw our, saw our friend John across the road, the elderly gentleman. He is in his 80s. He's up on the roof fixing tiles. I said to Gary, what's he doing? Gary runs across the road. He's climbing up this ladder, as you do when you're 80, onto the roof. And he says, what are you doing, John? Oh, don't worry, I'm just fixing up some tiles. Do you need a hand? No, almost done. Gary goes, I'm going to stay here, hold the ladder while you can come down. It's incredible how we get to know our neighbours in the midst of a crisis. We get to know our neighbours in the midst of their storms. The people down the road, they're in the army. It's an army house. 
We've gotten to know them. They've got this big, big, massive dog. We've got this beautiful little uh, Maltese terrier. He's so cute. He's white and fluffy. But when I'm taking Tommy, he always wants to go and eat the big black dog. Small dog syndrome, you know. I can take him on. One day I'm, I'm walking past the fence and there's, I mean, he scared me. The big dog scared me. And Tommy, went crazy. And the lady come out and she says, I'm so sorry. I said, it's all right. He's got small dog syndrome and he, he's just guarding your home. He goes, no, he's just got a big mouth. Got to know her just because of that. How good's that? I'm walking down the road with Tommy again, our dog. I've got some good dog stories. And this, this lady, she's got these two big Dalmatian dogs. And I'm walking past and, I've, yes, Tommy wants to eat the Dalmatians. So I'm holding him back and I'm so, I'm so sorry. She said, it's fine. She said, I haven't seen you in the area. I said, oh, no, we've just moved into the area. I used to live here when I was a kid. And I went, so I was telling my story. She goes, do you want to come for a cuppa? I'd love to. Didn't talk, church, didn't talk about church. She goes, what do you do? I said, well, I said, my husband and I lead a church down in the Gap area. She goes, really? I've never met anyone who leads a church. I said, really? She goes, no. I said, well, she goes, and so what do you do? So I started saying we help people. We help people find their saviour. She goes, really? She goes, oh, interesting concept. <laughs> it's true. And we're in a Bible belt. Our, our church is, we're actually in a Bible belt in the north of Brisbane. And um, you wonder whether you're actually talking to Christians sometimes, you know. But there's so many unchurched people around us that need to understand the grace of God. I see it all the time. She says, yeah, you want to have another cuppa? I said, my house next time. <laughs> Come to my house. <laughs> How easy is it to just open up our mouth and talk to people? The checkout chick or the checkout guy. I've given words, a prophetic words to checkout chicks and checkout guys. I've just stood there and I've said, how are you? And they've gone, oh, really bad day. I said, you know what? It's going to get better. I guarantee you it's going to get better. And I had this word for this young lady one day and I, it was just about some kind of colour. I said, do you like the colour red? She goes, it's my favourite. I said, really? It just happens. Because why? Because I'm open to God using me wherever I am. I'm open to God using me no matter how I'm feeling. There are some days I want to keep the covers over my head and go, I can't be bothered today, God. But you know what? I've got to be bothered on my can't be bothered days for the sake of the one, for the sake of the person who's on the other end of our obedience, who is right there waiting for us to extend grace. I want them to come out of their load of bars. I want them to come out of their shame, their guilt and their re rejection, their condemnation. I want them to come out of their sense of failure and be set free and live their life with a purpose and a destiny. Live their life flourishing before God with the gifts that have been given to them. Just like everyone here today. I don't know about you. But we've got some work to do. There are people going to a lost eternity. And God wants them to belong before they believe. Does that say we don't 
give them the truth of God's word? No. But when they ask, and what do you do? As a church leader, you've got an answer to speak life into their very spirit, into their very bones, so they can be resurrected in the incredible power of God's love. Let us all close our eyes here today. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Maybe you are struggling with being in Lodabar. As Mephibosheth came out of Lodabar and into the king's presence, he never went back to that shame, that guilt, that condemnation. He never went back to that state of isolation. Maybe there is someone here today and you feel like you're going back continually. If that is you, as we all close our eyes, I want you to raise your hand right now. You feel like you just can't break through. There's no shame in raising your hand. There's many hands raised already. I want to take another step with you. Would you be willing to stand? Stand. If you've just raised your hand, I want you to stand up. This is the day of breakthrough. This is the day where God wants to set you free once and for all. There is a process of working through the issues, but today God wants to do a breakthrough. You've been working hard dealing with the issues. You've been going to and fro, backwards and forwards, inside out of your spirit. And you wonder when you're going to get the breakthrough. Well, today is your breakthrough. Today is your breakthrough. What is your name right here? What's your name? Adrian. Adrian. You've got a story. You've got an amazing story of rejection, of being, being defeated. You've got a story and you are a classic example of the saving grace of God. And God is saying to you right now that He wants you to let go of your family. He wants you to let go of the things that are taking place in your family right now because He's going to work a miracle. He's heard your cry. He's heard your heart. He's seen your tears. He understands you inside out. He knows every detail of your life. He knows every detail of your family. (laughs) He's about to work a miracle. Hold fast. Stand strong. Keep drawing that line in the sand to be true to who you are and what God has done with you in your life. You're about to see something that you've believed for and prayed for with your whole heart. Thank you, Lord, because He's faithful, Adrian. He's faithful. God is faithful. And you've been faithful. And you're working through those things. And He's saying, now is the time. Enough is enough take the breakthrough. Hallelujah. Father God, I pray for everybody standing here right now. Lord, you know what is going on in each of their lives. You know they've worked hard to deal with it. You know some of these people have been talking to other people and getting counsel and reading their Bible. Well, God, I pray right now 
that they will become free and free indeed they will be. And God, that you will give them that breakthrough right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name, that you'll renew their thinking, renew their heart. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus, for the breakthrough. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. I know our time is gone. Thank you for listening to me today. And I want Brisbane to win the most livable city next year. Thank you very much. Thank you.